You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you stories that remind us who God is and who we are in Him. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Podcast. And be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 3 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo, and this week I am so excited to bring you a conversation with pastor, author, church planner, um, podcaster, radio host, the, the list goes on. He's such a talented man, um, Daniel Fusco. So Daniel, welcome to the show. Jess, I'm so excited to be with you and everyone who's listening to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited to have you. And you have a book that came out this year, You're Gonna Make It, Unlocking Resilience When Life is a Mess. And so I'm really excited to dive into that, Um, especially as we head into the holiday seasons. I think things can often feel messy or overwhelming or stressful. So I feel like this is a really timely message. Um, But before we get into your book, I was wondering if you could share your story of how you came to know the Lord and how you ended up doing all the things you're doing now. Yeah, so I, I grew up as an all-Italian kid in New Jersey. So everyone's preconceived ideas of like Italian people from New York, that's my family. Yeah. Big and loud, lots of them, aunts and uncles and cousins, lots of kisses and a lot of food. Um, and But culturally, we didn't really, uh, we went to church, but we didn't really talk about Jesus at all. So we were kind of like culturally Catholic by nature, being Italian Catholic. Um, but really... At home, we just never talked about God at all. It was like kind of like a don't ever talk about politics or religion. That was kind of like the, the family motto. And so by the time I become a teenager, I'm off the rails completely. Just, mm-hmm. you know, without, and and not because I rejected God, I just had no clue. And, and by the time I made it into college, I went to Rutgers University in my home state of New Jersey. I really started to have a series of things that were going on. I was having an existential struggle. I just, I had never really thought too much about spirituality at all or about God at all. My, my beloved mom got sick with cancer, which was totally brutal, mm-hmm. totally horrible. And uh, and I had a couple of friends who came to know Jesus and I was partying hard and I was thinking, of, you know, I was just struggling. And so it really turned my attention to uh, spiritual thoughts. But Jesus was kind of the last place that I even thought about looking because having grown up kind of culturally Catholic, you're like, oh, there's probably not a lot there. And so yeah, I was looking other places. Uh, at least that was my experience. That's not everybody's, but that was mine. And so, uh, but really my mother passed away. And one of the things that I did when my mom was uh, really, really sick was she, would, she wouldn't go to sleep at night because she was scared that she wouldn't wake up. And mm-hmm. my grandparents were taking care of her. And I was in college. I was up all night anyway, especially at, like as an ungodly college kid. And, and so I was like, hey, I'll stay up with mom. And my mom used to ask me to read to her Psalm 23 and John 14 from this red Gideon's Bible that she mm-hmm. took home from the hospital. And it was my first experience reading the Bible. And so when my mother passed away, because of these experiences of hanging out with her, I just wanted that red Gideon's Bible that literally she got out of like the top shelf of the bureau next to her hospital bed. And, uh, and along the way, I just started reading it. And I met Jesus uh, mm-hmm. in my very last semester at college, about nine months after my mom passed away, uh, he revealed himself to me. I didn't know what it all meant. It wasn't like, it wasn't through like a church or it was just like, I'm just like, yeah, I, I need this. I need forgiveness. I need, I want to know God. And it began a journey. My, really my career arc was to be a professional musician. I played the electric and the upright bass. Uh, and so, and I did that for a number of years, but along the way, God kind of uh, redirected me. 
and called me into the ministry of all places. I mean, I always like to joke that in high school or in college, if there was superlatives for the most least likely to ever become a Christian, let alone be a Christian pastor, I would have definitely been up for that. And uh, But God has his own ways. And so from there, God's, you know, everything that's gone on has been, it really all kind of dials back to that God revealing himself to me and me being like, all right, well, Lord, if you're real, then just show me who you are and teach me your word and show me how this all works. And mm-hmm. God's just opened up really wild doors ever since then. It's been almost 25 years now. Wow. I mean, what a beautiful story. And this idea that like through great suffering and tragedy, God used that to bring about his purpose in your life too. And, um, you know, I I think that's one thing you touch on in your book. So I was wondering if you had any word of like hope or encouragement for someone who's really suffering right now and just maybe doesn't see God really actively working right now um, and feels kind of hopeless. Yeah, well, if anyone's listening and you're in that place right now, my first thing I want to say is I'm so sorry for what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, oftentimes, in our, especially in our culture, we want to move right from the grieving and, and the hurt and the lament right into like, let's just fix it. You know, I think they're, they're calling that kind of toxic positivity. I don't know if that's the right idea for it, but... But, you know, so first, I'm just super sorry for what you're going through. And I'm super sorry if it's a valley season or the valley of the shadow of death. Like the Bible has all these pictures of that. Uh, but then I wouldn't want to say that, listen, I, I can't imagine what you're going through. But the one person who can imagine what you're going through is the one who numbered every hair on your head. The mm-hmm. one who who knows everything about you, who knows your thoughts more than you know your own thoughts. Yeah. And that God is inviting you even now to, to look to him. And I realize I don't understand the way God works all the time. I love the scriptures and I'm always unpacking it. But as, as I walk with people through life and as I see God working in my own life, what God, God never explains to us everything, why these things happen. I I have a whole chapter in my book. You're going to make it on the book on Job, you know, and, and Job never gets an explanation for why all that stuff happened. You know, and it's it's one of the challenging things about walking with God is that sometimes you're like, Lord, can't you just explain to us why that had to happen? But what I do know biblically and through experience is that our God, there's no waste in God's kingdom mm-hmm. and God is a God of redemption. So like in my own tragedy, in my family, I just see the God of redemption at work and everything that I've ever gone through, everything that I know, everybody I know who's been going through things, you know, uh, when we have the faith of a child, we say, I don't like this and I don't understand this, but God, will you bear fruit in my life? And will you let me see your redemption on this side of eternity? And that ability just to take that little step of faith to say, I don't like this. I wish it wasn't here, but God bear fruit. That's the first thing. And then second, let me see your redemption on this side of eternity. If you can just make it that one step, one, you'll start to realize that God is leveraging what you're going through to make you more like Jesus, which is God's plan always. It's like Mm -hmm. his only plan is to make us more like Jesus. Everything else is not the plan. The plan is me more like Jesus, just you more like Jesus, anyone listening, you more like Jesus. And then the second is, I want to see what you're doing, even if just a a, a little glimmer of it. And when you start to see what God is doing, even if we don't understand the totality of it, because he's not explaining it, you begin to say, God, I don't understand your ways, but I know that they're higher than mine. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so much of, I think, life on this side of eternity, the reason there's so much hopelessness today is because we live in a world that says, listen, God isn't, doesn't have to explain it all to us for him to be God. Our job is to trust him and say, Lord, just show me enough so that I could see your hand move in the land of the living. That's how David writes it in the Psalms, which I've always held on to. Yeah. Oh, that is so powerful. And, you know, you mentioned that God's purpose is to continually shape us into more like Him and more like Jesus. And so in order to kind of maybe recognize how He's doing that in our life, we have to know who He is and know who Jesus is and the, what He was about and what His heart was for. Um, and so, you know, we're kind of headed into this Advent season. And I was wondering if you could share, like, what are some of your favorite characteristics of God or, you know, and maybe specifically that manifest in his son, Jesus? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the beauty of that question, Jess, and I love it, is that like really all of God's characteristics <laughs> are bound up in, in, in his son. Now, what I, something that's really personal for me right now, and so I, I'm happy to share it. I'm actually mm-hmm. going to teach a whole series on it at Crossroads, it, you know, this Advent season. Uh, and I'm calling it uh, the vulnerable God. Because we think of God as the all-knowing one, He is. The, the all-powerful one, He is. You know, uh, with, with, with all the resources, the all-sufficient one, He's El Shaddai. But like the all-powerful, all-sufficient, all-knowing one is also the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you think of like the all-powerful one becoming a child, completely subject to his parents. Yeah. You know, uh, so you think both the incarnation and the crucifixion of Jesus shows God at, at the like the most vulnerable that I can even fathom. I mean, like you think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross, and he's literally becoming coming undone. He's sweating drops of blood because he realizes what's going to take place. And I'm like, God is not only majestic, holy; he's all these things. Yeah, but he's also the most vulnerable, and that's been really challenging me. It's been really blessing me. It's been really encouraging me, and it's also been uh, something that it's been paradigm shifting for me personally, because you know we find a lot of safety in the omnis of God. You know, God's all knowing and all powerful. It's like okay, so I'm secure there, but really, what God is showing me is that there's so much security in the intense vulnerability of God, mm. the humility of God. And, and the Advent season kind of points us to that, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us and we beholding his glory. It's like, like God is so vulnerable. And in a world that we have vulnerability hangovers and we fear being real. And oftentimes we even like, I, yeah, as a pastor, I love the people of God and I love being a part of the people of God. I love being, I love the bride of Christ. But sometimes in church, it's like, you almost feel like you have to put on a mask and you can't really, really being vulnerably. This is who I am. This is where I struggle. Yeah. Uh, the vulnerability of, of God in Christ, in his coming as a child, ultimately, you know, growing up and dying on the cross. It's so profound and it's been a deep well that's been real nourishing to my soul recently. Yes, I love that so much. I mean, I I ask a version of that question in every episode because it's really the heart of our show. Um, and no one has mentioned that before. And I mean, we're almost at like 200 episodes. And so I just, I love that. And it's so mind-blowing because every aspect of God's character exists all at once. So it's like he is completely vulnerable while also still being completely omniscient and omnipresent. And like, it's so beyond our comprehension. 
And it also shows how much he loved us that he allowed himself to become that vulnerable for us. When I mean, he didn't have to. And yeah, he chose mm. to. You know, and and you just think about it like that God would see his creation broken and say, you know what, I'm going to join it and I'm going to let it break me in the name of salvation and redemption and hope. And it's just like, it's, it's so, talk about life giving. I mean, and and like, like you're saying, it's like, it's, it's also deep. Like we live in a soundbite culture, but like the, God's ways are so profound and they seem paradoxical. Like how can mm-hmm. God be all powerful and also be broken? Like it's like, yeah. but but it all comes together in the, in the person and work of Jesus. And I think the gift that God has given us is that as we trust him and as we walk with him and as we seek to navigate complexity in life as people, in our communities, in the world in which we live today, he makes us, he grows us into wholeheartedness as we're on the journey because there's, it, you, it's the never ending journey. Like you never kind of like, oh, I, I understand everything about God or like, I understand everything about the Bible or I understand everything about how the spirit of God works. It's like, you never land there. No. You always land there like, I just didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I never saw that before. I've never experienced that before. I didn't see that in the scriptures before, but there it is. Mm-hmm. Clear as day, yeah. but we're just growing in it. And that's the beauty of the journey, I think. It is. And, you know, as you were speaking, I feel like there's someone out there who needed that reminder that, like, God allowed himself to be broken for you so that you could be healed and restored. And, I mean, I know there's so much suffering out there, but I feel like there's someone specifically listening who just feels too far gone and, like, like their life's too much of a mess. Um, and so I know that, I mean, the tagline of your book is unlocking resilience when life is a mess. So I wonder if you could speak into that a little bit and maybe this idea of resilience and connecting to what we've been talking about with Jesus. It's kind of a vague question. So go whichever way you'd like. Yeah, no, I'm, it's a great question because really what it boils down to, and I, and I talk about this in the book, you're going to make it. It really boils down to a question of how we value ourselves. Now, our culture mm-hmm. values us by and large, by what we can produce. Like we're, we're like a commodity. Like we we do these things. So, you know, and then we live in a social media world. I'm not against it. I'm on social media like the next person. But like but like people value themselves and all the research is coming out about teenagers with social media. I'm sure when they do the research on adults with social media, it's the same thing. We value ourselves by if we get the likes that we want, all these different uh, things, right? But really when we... Everything in life, I believe, boil, comes back to an identity problem. And, mm-hmm. and, and really what happens is, is we allow these uh, imperfect, sometimes superficial things to be our valuing. And really, when we look at what the Bible teaches and who Jesus is, really God values us. If you think about anything that has any value, it's what am I willing to give up to get that? So if I go to a coffee shop today, you know, and I'm like, man, I'm willing to give up $6 for a latte. You know what I mean? And it's like, and listen, and people do it all the time. I do it as well. Like my latte is like the next person, you know, but you're like the $6 in my pocket. It's, it's, it's a good trade. Even if you think it's expensive, it used to be four bucks. Now it's six bucks, but like either way, it's like, you're giving that up. And if you think what has God given so that we can be adopted into his family, Mm -hmm. he gave that him who is the most valuable, his only begotten son. So when people are like, man, like God could never love me. It's like, no, listen, 
you may have heard that from your parents and your parents were supposed to not tell you that you're not worth anything and you're a waste, but they're valuing you wrong because if you, if you were the only sinner in the world, God would have sent Jesus on a rescue mission just for you. Now, newsflash, you're not. I'm yeah. one of them. Like we all are, you know, but I have to constantly remind myself that I am not as my value doesn't come from the last book that I wrote or the mm. last sermon that I preached or how well I did for my kids' birthdays or, 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 or my value is derived only through the finished work of Jesus. And even if everyone else tells me that I am worthless, God already says, you are so valuable to me that I gave my own son mm. for you. And once we can, once we can not only understand that, but choose to found our lives on that, then you can really begin to enjoy your job, your relationships, your production, but it's not the totality of who you are. It's just an aspect of who you are because the truest thing about anybody is who God says that they are. Mm. And so to me that, when someone's like, man, my life is too far gone. I'm here to tell you it's not true. That's a lie. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. You've made a ton of mistakes. No denying that. I may not understand it, Jess. You may not know what it is, but God knows what it is. But God says, you are more than your worst days. You are more than your accumulation of mistakes. You are mm. so much more than that. And God's not saying that's the end of the story. He's saying, look, yeah. this is where you are. And let me do a work in you to bring you to places you've never been before. Yes, I love that. I mean, it just gets me excited. Like, all right, God, what are you going to do next? Um, so, you know, thinking about, who God says we are, what are some of those things? Like for someone who's like, okay, that sounds great. I don't believe you. Like, I don't know who God says I am. I've never looked into that. You know, could you speak some of those words of truth about like who we are in Christ? Sure. I mean, my my most favorite one is that God calls us beloved. Mm-hmm. You know, the object of God's affection. Yeah. So like that, like... I mean, we could, we could, you could, t- we could take podcasts forever and just be unpacking like, like you are the beloved of God, yeah. you know, which means that when God sees us with all of our brokenness, with all of our uh, struggles and trials and issues, with all of our good days and bad days and, and days where you're like, man, someone said that was a good day. I think that was a lousy day, but they don't even know half of the story. You know, God sees it. He says, actually, you are the object of my affection, my unconditional and unearned affection. So like, mm. that's huge. Now, yeah. no, one else, no one else God says that we are. He says that we're holy when we're mm. in Christ. Now, how crazy is that? So holiness, talk about the characteristics of God. I like to tell people that holiness is the all-encompassing reality of God's character and all the attributes of God are an aspect of his holiness. And that literally means completely distinct, other, set apart, unlike anything else, right? And then the Bible says that, you know, we're holy in Christ. So not only are we loved, but we're also set apart by God, mm. you know? And, and so that's what I always use the analogy of this about how God's holiness changes us. Like, so I have little kids. Well, some of them are not so little anymore. But like, I remember when my when my kids would have birthday parties, like nobody bre- breaks out like the fine family china for the five-year-old's birthday party. Why? Because it's like that stuff, like the, the, I mean, I'm not really a plate person, but like, you know, those plates are, are specific for a specific use, right? So when it's the kid party, you bust out the paper plates and they have a little, you know, a dinosaur on it or whatever. And you know, the kids are going to drop it and it's going to be a mess. And, but you're not going to put out your nice stuff. And in the same way, when you realize that God calls us holy, 
He shared, Jesus shares his holiness with us. It means that we are set apart. We're not common. We are set apart for very specific purposes. You know, yeah. and so you see how like when God calls us holy, you're like, oh, like, like I'm just not, I'm not like everybody else. Like God mm. has something special for me. God, I'm, I'm not common. I'm unique in Christ and God has special plans for me. So that's also a very, very powerful thing. And then there's another one, uh, you know, and I, I, all I'm really doing is quoting, I think it's, uh, it's Colossians chapter three. I want to say it's verse 12. Because the third thing he says there is that, is that you're elect, which means that you've been chosen. Yeah. Now, I think that's so like the idea of being adopted by God, where it's like God wasn't, we weren't forced upon God. Like God chose us. And so like even that, like the fact that God single-handedly said, hey, I'm going to choose Jess. Yeah. I'm going to choose Daniel. I'm going to choose, insert your name in there. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to make you part of my family. Not because he had to, not because he, he was obligated to, but because he wanted to. Mm-hmm. So all these things, like they, talk about what adjusts our identity, adjusts yeah. the way we value ourselves, adjusts the way we see ourselves. And those are, just, those are just three things that God says that we are just right out of Colossians chapter three. Yeah. And if we really believed those things, it would change everything about the way we live and the decisions we make. And I think it would eliminate so much fear because the things of this world wouldn't matter anymore. I mean, when when our eyes and heart are set on things above and who God says we are, then I think there's nothing we need to fear in this life because we can't lose anything that has eternal value. Like, I, does that kind of make sense? Um, so what, how do you like find freedom from that fear? If, if you are feeling fearful, you don't know what it looks like to maybe walk in that identity. And it just seems scary and kind of daunting. Yeah. So in in my book, You're Going to Make It, I really broke it down into these three sections, one on fear and worry, one on stress, and one on suffering. You know, And so one of the things I tell people about fighting the battle against fear is the only way to win the battle is to fight the battle. Because fear is our Wait, response. That, can you say that again? It seems oh, yeah. so like, duh, but it's like, yes. <laughs> yeah, so the only way to win the battle against fear and worry is to fight the battle. So you have to get in the fight. You have to be in the fight because here's the deal. <laughs> if fear is the response, whether it be, you know, uh, mentally, intellectually, or, uh, you know, with our our bodily responses, our emotional response to uncertainty, because we're not God, uncertainty is part of the it's part of the system because we mm-hmm. are finite. God is infinite. So uncertainty is normal. And don't miss the fact that fear is actually not necessarily a bad thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, 600 years ago, if you were living in the woods and you heard trees rustling, fear actually causes you to be on guard so you don't get eaten by a lion or something. So it's mm. like so it's like fear is there's something good associated with it. Now, in our day and age, really what we have is because we live in a world full of so much uncertainty, we're not really just fearful that a lion's going to eat us. We're just scared of everything in the future. So and and whatever is making you fearful today, I guarantee you there'll be like 30 other things that could make you fearful in a month. Right. Like, so like before I had kids, I wasn't really worried about my kids' future. But then I had kids and I'm like, hey, this isn't a, like I'm worried about them. I wonder who they're going to marry. And I hope they do well in life and I hope they blossom. And I hope I don't ruin them as their dad. And you have all these fears. So, like, so 
part of it is you have to fight the battle every day. And mm-hmm. I, I would love, I always tell people, I would love, I would have loved in the book to say, look, you read the first section of you're going to make it and you'll never be fearful again. But that is just not true. It's like, and no one can tell you that. Now, what's beautiful is though, is that all through the scriptures, we, God is constantly saying, do not fear. And some some people have said that there are 365 derivatives of do not fear in the Bible. Now, I've never researched it down, so I can't say for sure. But Convenient, I like it. one for each day, right? One for each day. <laughs> yeah. But why does God say that? It's simple. God is saying, look, there's a million uncertain things in your world, and there will always be. Yeah. But what isn't uncertain is me, that I will be with you, that I will never leave you nor forsake you, mm-hmm. and that no matter what goes on, everything that you're scared about I'm going to be there tomorrow. I'm going to be there later today. And whatever happens, I promise I'll be with you and I'll be working. And so what he's saying is that we don't have to look at the future and say, this is going to go bad. We can look at the future and say, I do not know what's going to happen. And I have no clue how this is all going to work out. But I know who knows the future, the Alpha and the Omega. And I know when I get there, God will already be there. And he has a good plan, even though I have no clue what that is. And so part of it is us, again, leaning into who he is, The like what you were talking about, this idea that like we wouldn't worry about all these things if we can keep our eyes on the Lord, because really it's the security that we find is not our understanding of the future. Our security is found in God and his love and, and the covenants he's made with us. And, and of course, God has given us his spirit to seal us, to remind us of all these things. So that as we move through every single day, we're like, listen, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I'm freaked out about the economy or this thing or that thing. But I do know that no matter what happens, God is God and God is good. And this is all going to work out some way. And ultimately, yeah. I'm invincible until my time here is done anyway. So <laughs> like, so I could just trust that it's going to be funky. It, it won't go the way I think it's going to go, but God will be there when I when I get there. And that's going to be awesome. Mm, man, that is powerful stuff. And I mean, just life-changing when you start to walk in that and believe that. Um, so that was section one. Did you say section two was on stress? Yes, everyone's favorite topic. Oh my gosh, especially... <laughs> It's December. I I love Christmas. This is like my favorite time of year. But sometimes it's really stressful. There can be stressful things that happen around the holidays. Um, so maybe speak into that a little bit. Like, how do we handle the stress? How do we combat that? Is it normal? I mean, yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Well, yeah, unfortunately, like I have like a PhD in stress sometimes, <laughs> you know? So I'm always, I always laugh. But so in, in the same way, you know, one of the things, there's an old saying that I, and I've always loved this is that expectations ruin relationships, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, so whether it's like, you know, with, with a family member or a significant other, a spouse uh, on a job, you know, expectations, why do expectations ruin relationships? One, most expectations are uh, not verbalized and they're not agreed upon, right? Mm-hmm. So like no one's said, hey, this is my expectation of you. And so they, since, you, since someone's never said that, then no one, people can say, well, yeah, I, I sign up for that. That's, that's what I, I promise. So what happens is, is we, because we have expectations that we have never verbalized and we have never expressed, you know, people get let down all the time. People get hurt. Now, what's interesting is we live in a day and age, and I love being alive today. Like, I love that, like, like we're recording this right now. There's technology, there's coffee, the, yeah. you know, like we have climate controlled rooms. It's like, it's great. But we also have an expectation that is not realistic 
which we actually think that my life will be good when there's no stress. Mm. But the reality is, is stress is part of life. Yeah. Like it's like, is stress, stress is, if you look it up in the, in the dictionary, it is literally your body's response to uncertainty. So when we're talking about fear is like, hey, we it's an internal feeling. But stress is literally like the body's response to uncertainty. And yeah. I heard one person say that stress is the um it's it's the educated person's word for fear. Because you oh, feel like because like if you catch if you're under stress, almost always your heart starts beating quickly. You you find your breathing shallow or you're holding your breath. All of these are the body's response to things that make us fearful, which we already said. Is an, is it's it's inevitable that you're going to be fear. So what's amazing is is inevitably you're going to have stress. Let me give you an example. Yeah. So like you're in college, let's say, and at some point you have exams, so that's stressful, right? And then you're like, well, but once I'm out of college, it won't be so bad because I won't have all these exams, and I, you know, and then sure enough, but what happens? You get out of college, and then you get a job, and then what happens is you have deadlines and you have bosses, and so what happens is all stress, stress, you know, and then so you you do your whole working life. And you're like, oh, life is going to be really good when I'm retired. But everybody I know who's retired, I know a lot of people who are retired, like retirement is stressful. Why? Because you're like, but now what do I do? Because now I'm at the end. And what about, am I going to have enough money to retire? And then I'm getting older and then I have health problems. And so what you realize is that like this idea that we're going to, that, that our life is going to be perfect when it's stress-free, it's actually, it's. If, if expectations ruin relationships, it's actually ruining all of our relationship to our own lives. Mm. I'm here to tell you, there's, there's no God. Jesus never once says, follow me and you're going to have a stress-free life. Like, I <laughs> wish he said it. That's not in there. That's like, come on. Are it's we like, sure? Yeah. And it's so, so really yeah. what it boils down to is then one of the things I talk about in, in the book is that when you feel stress, that is an invitation from Jesus to draw closer. Because really what it is, is like your body is telling you there's uncertainty and you, and you're worried. Right. And so, so really, and I always think of that beautiful Psalm, Psalm 63, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I Mm. see. So stress is almost like your body saying you need to draw closer to the Lord in this moment. And so when you start to realize that, and I, and I make the case in the book that everything in our life is an invitation from Jesus to, to, to lean in, to draw closer, mm, to, yeah. to, to come to into, I always love it in the Psalms. It talks about how, you know, the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run in and are safe. It's like when you're on the run because your life is at stake, you run into that strong tower to be protected. Yeah. And, and it's like, so every time you feel stressed, that's an invitation from Jesus into the abundant life, into deeper mm. communion, into a, a, a fresh revelation, and into just the, the the simple reality that I, you know, I cannot handle my own life, but God can. Like I remember when I first read the Bible, I'd always thought that uh, God will never give us more than we can handle was in the Bible. And I remember <laughs> I started reading it, and I'm like, I was done reading the Bible. I'm like, wait, I never read that. And I like I went through the end, like it's not in there. I was just talking to someone. Someone said, Well, God will never give us more than we can handle. I'm like, that's not true. God will always give us more than we can handle. He'll never give us more than he can handle. He can, yes. And the sooner we realize that I can't handle it, the better Mm -hmm. off we are. And then the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians said, you know, I rejoice in my weaknesses because in my weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect. Yeah. 
So stress is a gift. It's an invitation from God to say, hey, listen, you need to draw in. And you know what's amazing about stress also? If you think about working out, working out is literally putting your body under stress so that you'll grow. Yeah. Now, how cool is that? Because spiritually speaking, stress, if we respond to it by leaning into Jesus, it's, you know, when you're, very few people when they're working out are enjoying it. They're like, no one's like, oh man, I'm dying right now. This is awesome. It's like, (laughs) it's hard. Like you're running on the treadmill and you're like, gosh, I don't want to do this right now. But when it's over, you know, you do it because you know, it's good for you and you know, you're going to grow. And in the same way, when we respond biblically to stress by drawing near to God as he, you know, through yeah. the stress, then what happens is, is the stress becomes a profound growth engine. And almost for everyone who's listening to this, I guarantee if I say, tell me about the time that you grew the most spiritually, it will almost always be under a hard, challenging and stressful situation yes. because God reveals himself to us and in us and through us through the most stressful and challenging times. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. Wow. And such like important perspective shifts, just like changing how we view it. And as that invitation to draw near to the Lord, I mean, it changes everything. So listeners out there, when you start to feel stressed this holiday season, especially like take some deep breaths and see the Lord in it, draw near to Him, go back to Him um, because He is our refuge, that strong tower. Daniel, did you realize that your book is an Advent book? <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I never thought of it, but I, it makes me so excited because I'm like, it totally is. It, it absolutely is. I mean, but anything that's about Jesus, I guess, really would be an Advent book. <laughs> that's true. That, and, and, you know, and that was really my goal in the book is I really wanted, because I realized like, you know, when you talk about resilience, it's like, I realize that we all need it. Over the last number of years, we all realized like we're like, because I always tell people there's one thing to like, what do you do when you're, when you are in easy times? That's an important time to train resilience. Mm. But when you're in the middle of hard things, how do you unlock it while you're still in the middle of it? And so I think like, you know, as this is releasing and it's, it's the, the holiday season, I realized that could be such a mixed bag for people as, you know, you're connecting with families of origin and there's, you know, sticky relationships and there's financial hardships and there's all all these different things that are going Mm -hmm. on. And when when you realize that like, hey, in the midst of all that, like the holiday season isn't going to stop because we're tired or we're frustrated, you know? And so it really boils down to, Lord, how can I press into you, draw near to you Mm -hmm. and allow you to help frame this all so that I can really see what you're doing? Because oftentimes one of the things that I realize is that one of the ways that God helps us unlock resilience is to change the way we see it. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, listen, if you burn the, you know, the, you know, the, the casserole on Christmas Eve, like everyone's going to survive. Like, it's like, it's not the only thing on the table. You know what I mean? It's like, there's other things. And and really Christmas is not about the casserole, even though you wanted it to be perfect, you know? And when, when you have, you know, you you get a disagreement with your mom or whatever on Christmas and it's, and, and you're like, oh, you know, but in the end of the day, like, I got, like, I lost my mom when I was 21. So I always tell people, I'm like, if you can argue with your mom, you're doing great. Like, Mm. I would love to argue with my mom right now. I don't want to diminish challenging family relationships, but like the fact that you have a family, even if they're totally mangled, you know, like it's still, it's still an evidence of, hey, like this is part of the human condition. Like, and so, so much of life. And and when you start to realize like on my deathbed, is this really going to matter? Like, like, like in eternity, is it really going to be like a thing about like, 
you know, the fact that like I made a ham for Christmas and it didn't, it was nasty. Like I just did, I undercooked it or whatever. Like these things don't really matter. Like who didn't show up at the Christmas party? Who didn't give you a good present? Like a lot of these things just aren't going to matter. And, and obviously for those people who are suffering through loss at the holidays, you know, um, I always like to remind people like, listen, as a follower of Jesus, this, we're just pilgrims here. Like Mm. we're, we're passing through this. Like I haven't, I haven't got to celebrate a Christmas with my mom in 26 years. Right. And it's like, but I realized like, I'm going to get to spend eternity with her. Like, like, so like I miss her now big time. I would love for her to meet her grandkids and and her daughter-in-law and all these things. But, but I'm like, at the same time, I'm like, I'm just passing, we're just passing through here. The gospel reminds me that eternity is way longer than however long we get here. And so, so much of finding the resilience is being able to see things from that heavenly perspective, Mm -hmm. that kingdom perspective, that, you know, God, the God drenched perspective, as opposed to the way that I'm apt to see it as a human being on this side of eternity, just kind of navigating all the stuff I'm trying to navigate. Yes. It's so good. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, we are almost out of time. So what did I miss? What final word do you want to leave us with or anything from the book or just a word of hope or encouragement or anything else that God lays on your heart? Yeah, if I could share one more thing. So in the book, I unpack all these things and I, I use something that I call the resilience equation, which I would love to share super fast. Yes, so, yeah. And I, 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 I literally took it right out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, where it talks about how we should look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated down at the right hand of the Father. And so in that equation, I have hope plus grit equals unstoppable resilience. So the idea of Ooh. hope for the joy that was set before Jesus. So we need a mindset of hope and not hoping in hope. We're hoping in the God of all hope. We're hoping in the God who sent Jesus to die and be resurrected, right? And so we need hope because without hope, one, if you have hope, then you realize that what God is up to, you'll find out later. But there's nothing worse than making it to the end of something. And if you've lost hope, you come out the other end. But when you when you get out the other end, you're cynical and you're jaded and you're hard-hearted, which is not God's will. He wants us to be whole-hearted. He wants us to be soft-hearted. He doesn't yeah. want us to be jaded. He wants us to be hopeful. So there's nothing worse than going through life and coming out the other end crispy, crusty, and not like Jesus. So yeah. we need hope, and we need to hold on to hope. We need to white-knuckle our hope in the finished work of Jesus. But then we need to marry that to grit. Now, grit's a popular word, but biblically, I define grit as doing the continuing to do the right things in the right ways, for the right reasons, no matter the outcome. Mm. And what that means is that oftentimes when we're under pressure, when we're in times of suffering or stress or fear, and worry, we start cutting corners. And because what God is interested in is making us like Jesus, we need to continue to do the right things the right way for the right reasons, no matter what the outcome is. Because really, I like to tell people that we love the outcome, but God loves the process. God is joining Ooh. us in the process. Yeah. And so if we can keep that mindset of hope, and then continuing to do the right things in the right way. When we come out the other end, we'll both see what God was doing, at least at least partially, you see through a glass dimly. But also when we look in the mirror at the end of the journey, we'll be able to say, I am so much more like Jesus than I was before. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the key to biblical resilience, a mindset of hope and us realizing that every day, the decisions that we make are building our character 
and and we want that Christ-like character. And so much of that comes through obedience in hard seasons. Because what I found is in times of stress, I, you know, you kind of want to cut corners. You don't really want to do it right. But really that kind of short circuits the redemptive plan that God has. And so my encouragement for everyone is hold on to hope, the God of all hope in your mind. So you don't come out the other end cynical or jaded, or you tap out long before God does what he wants to do, but continue to do the right things the right way for the right reasons. Even if the outcome, you like, this is never going to work. Really what God is interested in is making us more like Jesus. And so to me, that's like in the book, that's like, I'm like, man, this is like, I need to keep living this. Cause I mean, again, mm-hmm. the hope is for the joy that was set before him. The grid is endured the cross despising the shame. That's Hebrews 12 too. And then ultimately the unstoppable resilience is he's seated down at the right hand of the father. So it's like you move through, you know, crucifixion to glorification. And what's amazing is, is Jesus invites us in the same journey, really he was crucified and he was glorified. And then we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him daily. And then we are glorified. We join Jesus in his glorification. And so we find, we, we get that crown after the cross. And so in a lot of ways, that's how we do that. And I think in the holiday season, maintaining hope can be challenging yeah. and not cutting corners and really being gritty in the biblical sense, be character building. It's so huge. And, and you'll be happy with the person that you are if you take those steps. Wow. Oh, I've, I'm glad I asked that last question. That is so rich and good. And I mean, everything you've shared in this interview, I, when I go back and make the show notes, I always, you know, type up the bullet points and kind of give people an outline. And I will be just typing away frantically. So listeners, check out those show notes because if you're driving, you couldn't actually be taking notes. So I've done it for you. So you can go reread and access all of this with all the scripture references and all of everything in there, as well as links to all the places where you can find Pastor Daniel and um, his podcast and sermons and his book. I'll connect to all of that. Um, So Daniel, thank you so much for being on today. Oh, Jess, it was a total pleasure. Thanks so much. Wow, what an amazing conversation with Daniel. I am just so encouraged. I I don't know about you, but that is exactly what I needed to hear. Just those reminders of who God is, who we are in Him, how to navigate stress and fear and sorrow and how all of it draws us closer to the Lord and points us back to Him. Um, Oh, it was so good. I hope you loved it as much as I did. Um, So as we're headed into this Advent season, I wanted to talk in closing about Emmanuel, God with us, this name of Jesus that reminds us that He is with us in everything, in our suffering, in our pain, um, in our sorrow, in our conflict, in our sin, in our facing death, Um, just all these things that we experience in a broken world He did not shy away from them. He is with us through all of them, um, and His presence will never leave us. Uh, In the All the Divine Names and Titles in the Bible by Herbert Lockyer, I reference this book often because I love it so much. Just learning about who God is is like the deep passion of my heart. But he says, It is this character, speaking of Emmanuel, God with us, as the ever-present companion that the living bond and most intimate fellowship between God and man was summed up in one word, Emmanuel. 
So I want to leave you with that. Whenever you feel stressed or anxious in you know the coming months, especially in the holidays, just draw near to the Lord and take it as an opportunity to recognize new things about Him and His provision for you. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. 